Hey church, take your Bibles and let's go to James chapter 3 for our scripture reading today. And uh, as you're making your way there, I want to welcome those of you that are in the room and those of you who are joining us online. Glad that you're with us today. Uh, every week we have people who come back after um, being at home for a while. Anybody in the room, this is your first Sunday back in the sanctuary? Raise your hand. Okay, good. All right, thanks. Good. Glad to have you here. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Our... Um, our plan right now is to try and memorize 18 verses in 18 days. We've had about 270 or so people sign up for that challenge. Love to have a few more. And so today, while you have the copy of God's Word in front of you, while we have it on the screen, I'm going to do something that makes me a little nervous. I'm going to attempt to recite for you James 3, 1 through 5. All right? Here is God's Word today. James 3, 1 to 5. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach are judged with greater strictness. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble with what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their, we guide their whole bodies as well. Consider the ships, or look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. This is the word of the Lord. Whew. All right. All right. So listen, you can do this. Like I'm not good at memorizing. I, I, part of my problem is I've got uh, Bible translation confusion in my head. I, I was blessed as a kid to be raised in a church that taught the word, but we had King James, New King James, New American Standard, e English Standard Version, New Living Translation, the Rogopian Version, which is a mix of all of those. Uh, call it the mutt version, just kind of combining all of those things together so those words are all over the place. You can do this, and even if you don't do it perfectly, join the movement of trying to memorize God's word. I was struck as I was driving uh, Savannah from an indoor soccer game last night and I was just trying to memorize some verses, asked her to uh, just listen to me as I recited those verses. And one of the lines that are verses that you'll memorize coming up, I think it's today or tomorrow, is that the, the tongue can set on fire the entire course of one's life. Wow, it's so true. It's not just true because it's in the Bible, it's true because it's true really practically. So encourage you, find ways to get God's word into your heart and join that challenge with us over the next uh, 18 days or now about 13 days or so if we can memorize 18 verses. How awesome would that be? Well, today we're in James chapter three. The title of the sermon is A Small tongue and a big problem. And you know, one of my favorite kinds of sermons are those particular messages where I'm helping you understand something that's new. Maybe a truth that you didn't understand before or a new angle on something that maybe you just hadn't seen before in the text. Well, the challenge with this kind of sermon today is that when it comes to the issue of the tongue, the fact of the matter is, is that we all know what we should or what we shouldn't do. The issue isn't what we know, it's what we do with it. 
It's how we apply the principles in James chapter 3. That the challenge for most of us who are Christians is not merely knowing that the tongue is an issue, but rather it's that we listen and apply it to somebody else, or we think that we have the excuse as to why that text doesn't apply to us. Maybe over the last number of months, you've heard the sort of cultural phrase spoken often in frustration, rules for thee, but not for me. So too, we apply that when it comes to the matter of the tongue. It's easy to think about what we know and then to excuse what we really should do or not do. For instance, let me just illustrate this this way. Think of the last time when you said something that was wrong. My guess is you sort of replay that scenario. The issue was not that you then thought, I didn't know I shouldn't say that. That may happen every once in a while. But rather, the problem more often than not is you would say something like, ah, why did I say that? I know better. The problem is not what we know. The problem is in how we apply it. So before we get into James 3 today, I'm going to give you three cautions that come out of this text. Can I just ask you, even exhort you to do something, and that is to avoid the temptation to listen to this text for someone else. You're going to have to do that and remind yourself of that because I'm going to say a couple things and you're going to be like, ooh, I wish, hope so-and-so is listening, or I know a lot of people who have that problem. You may know a lot of people who have that problem or have that struggle, and you may even need to find ways to help them. But you won't be able to do so if you don't listen for yourself first. So mom and dad, listen for yourself. Roommate, listen for yourself. Person at work, listen for yourself. And then begin to apply it to your children, to your spouse, to your friend, to your people in your small group, to your roommate, to the people that you work with. You may be here today and you're not yet a Christian. This text is one that quite frankly, is not, hmm, how do I say this? It's not applied as well within people who call themselves Christians, if I could just be honest. You you probably know people who call themselves believers in Jesus, but the way they talk, you'd be like, I don't, that that doesn't make sense. And you're right, it doesn't. And so what I'm going to do today is show you what the Bible calls Christians to do And while we're not a perfect people by any stretch of the imagination, the thing that is supposed to happen is that a life-changing relationship with Christ not only affects every aspect of who we are, but it also changes the way we talk and how we talk and what we talk about. And so I hope that as you see this today that you'll be, if you're not a Christian, compelled to consider what is underneath the things that I say and what's the solution to it. The answer is relationship with Christ. And that's why James is going after this issue of the tongue, especially just after he talks about the problem of faith and works. In chapter two, James is making the case that if you say you believe one thing, but you don't live like it, then do you really believe it? And the very first example that James goes to after this lengthy section about the correlation between faith and works, he talks about our tongues and how we talk because it's that important, it's also that obvious. And throughout the history of the church, it's also an area that we need to grow a lot in. 
So three cautions. Number one is this. More words equals more accountability. Verse 1 says, many of you, not many of you rather, should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So James begins here by addressing the danger that teachers, including himself, would be in because of their use of many words. It seems as though James wants to disarm his readers a bit by first applying the text to his own situation as a teacher and then to apply it to them as well. He wants to join them. It's not as though he's saying, you've got a problem, I've got this down. Rather, James is acknowledging that those who teach are judged with greater strictness. One thing that James is trying to do here is help this, these first century readers, many of whom would have been uneducated, to help them realize that just because somebody is educated, because they know their stuff and they communicate really well, like you need to be careful about aspiring or thinking somehow that they're super special. James is cautioning here about a tendency that human beings have had since very, really the beginning of time, which is this. We tend to be drawn to people who know their stuff and who can communicate it or write it in a way that is helpful and memorable. Words of power power today. One of my favorite lines in a movie about Winston Churchill is this, he mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. How true. Words tend to create worlds, which is one of the reasons that Paul warned Timothy about false teachers. He said this, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, fables, conspiracies, things of that sort. So what Paul is talking about here and one that we need to recognize as well, especially in the midst of our modern age with all kinds of information and the prevalence of the internet, the caution here is to be sure that we understand the need for discernment because it's not hard to find a teacher to verify and promote what we want to hear. You know that, right? You can find just about anybody to prove what you want to believe. And what's remarkable during this sort of information age is how we might even trust somebody we don't even know because they say something we want to hear. I mean, it's true no matter what issue you're taking on or what perspective you're trying to understand. And what James is doing here is trying to elevate the responsibility that teachers have lest we become overly enamored with their content or with their gifting. He says they're going to be judged with greater strictness. What does that mean? It means there's a direct line between words and accountability. What we say has effects, and what we say causes us to be held accountable for our words. Now, this is not the only time that James has picked up this theme of our words. In fact, in James chapter 1, he says this, know this, my beloved brothers, every person should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. He also says in verse 26 of the same chapter, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. 
So it's interesting, James is writing here to a group of people that are under pressure. They're, they're facing some kind of persecution or hardship, and yet James talks with them about their talking. Why? Because he knows what I know and you know, and that is this. When hard things come, our tongues tend to be let loose. Difficulties come, hardship comes, we're more inclined to say things that in other seasons when the maybe the seas of our emotions are more calm that we wouldn't necessarily say. James knows that hardship causes us sometimes to lose restraint over our tongues. James knows that lurking underneath our words are misplaced passions. James chapter four and verse one, a text that we'll get to in a few weeks, says this, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So James is writing as a pastor who knows church people. He knows Christians. He knows what we're like. And that should encourage you. Because the challenges of our day are not new. Yes, the last 12 to 18 months have been exceptionally hard. But that doesn't give us an excuse. We won't be able to say, to Jesus when we stand before him and he says, why did you say things like this? We won't be able to say, because it was 2020. (laughs) You won't get that pass. We might be tempted to excuse our sinful words due to thinking that somehow it's harder right now than it's ever been, and it's hard. In fact, if you're a Christian who's trying to exhibit godly behavior in your speech, you're, you're having to restrain what you want to say a lot. Some of you know what that feels like. And if you're trying to do that well, you're probably tired of all of the restraint and how careful you have to be. And yet Jesus says this, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word, insert text, email, tweet, posting, whatever, yard sign, whatever it is, tattoo, bumper sticker, there we go, bumper sticker, right? For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So James just wants us to realize, look, our words matter, And I know that you know this, but James wants us to understand this in a deeper way. We use a lot of words, and we're accountable for them. I started thinking, how many words a Sunday do I use? So I just did a quick calculation. With three services, and just conservatively, it would be about 12,000 words every Sunday, If I multiply that times about 36, 35, 37 weeks a year, over 13 years, that's 5.7 million words spoken through sermons. That's crazy. That's a lot of words. I think I'm going to have a long time at the judgment seat of Christ. (laughs) In fact, you know, those of you who've been around here for a while, you've You've seen some of those and heard some of those words, which some have been helpful, some have been confusing at times, some haven't made sense at all. In fact, our production team has a couple videos that they're not allowed to show anyone of moments when I've been pretty tongue-tied 
One famous day is called Sepacol Sunday when I had too many cough drops and my words got a little jumbled. But nobody's allowed to see those, Scott McColgan. So, but you know, it's not just me that uses a lot of words. You use a lot of words. The University of Arizona estimates that the average human being uses 16,000 words a day. Now, for some of you, we know that that's way low, right? Some of you, it's way high. In fact, the average uh, was 16,000, and it, it spanned between 795 words a day. Those are for those quiet, introverted people. And then the, the top end was, look at this, 47,000 words a day. That's 3,000 words per every waking hour. Some of you need to shh. By the way, that study was designed to determine if women talk more than men. And it determined that, no, men talk just as much as women. So there you go, ladies. There's a little shout-out for you. But friends, the quantity of our words isn't the only problem. It also relates to what exactly we say and how we say it. I trust that you know that the number of words you use isn't the only issue. Have you, ever, have you ever had it that you're reading a text from a friend and you're reading, 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 and they put one word in there and it just burns you? What do they mean? I'm insensitive. What do they mean? I'm not listening. I'm listening? One little word can land so painfully hard. It's even worse when we become proud or defensive or fearful or anxious. When those things happen, when we feel that way, that's when this kind of text really matters, that the more words we use, the more accountable we are. That's the first caution. Be careful. More words, it's more accountability. Here's a second one. And that is, positively, good words equal a good sign. The reverse is also true. Bad words equal a bad sign. In verse two, James says this, for we all stumble in many ways. So James is acknowledging, look, we are not all people who don't mess up in all sorts of ways. And then he says this, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Now that word perfect doesn't mean like without sin. It's that word perfect, James uses it throughout his letter to refer to a mature man, somebody whose faith is completed by his works. That's the word complete is the same word as perfect here. Same thing in regards to suffering in chapter 1 and verse 4, where James says that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So the idea here isn't that you're without fault, but it means that you're mature. So the idea of what James is communicating here is pretty simple, and that's this, that the words of my mouth connect to my way of life. The words of my mouth connect to my way of life in two ways. First, our words are revealing. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, we're all walking around, and we don't know what's going on inside of each other's minds. We don't have, like, that conversation bubble over people's heads, and thankfully, we don't have that. You don't want to know what I'm thinking. I don't want to know what you're thinking. But every once in a while, we get a sense of what's inside, and our words reveal what goes on inside of our hearts. I'm sure you've said something that you regretted and later said, I don't know where that came from. Well, actually, you do know where that came from. Or that came out of nowhere. Actually, it didn't come out of nowhere. Like, in order for that thought to become 
a word or a phrase, it had to be thought. So James is considering here that somebody who understands the importance of their words understands the importance of maturity in total. He then says that he's a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. Interesting. James makes a connection that those who demonstrate their ability to control their speech are also able to control the rest of their lives. Now, it's a, a general sort of wise truism that James is saying. Certainly, that there can be exceptions to that where someone acts like they're all put together, but behind the scenes, they're a train wreck. But James is making a connection here that I think is really warranted, and that is this. Show me a person who can't control their tongue, and I'll show you a person who probably has a lack of self-control in some other areas as well. Bad words are a bad sign. Several years ago, I was watching an interview online between three pastors, all of whom were national leaders. They were discussing an issue of secondary importance. So it wasn't specifically related to the gospel, it was the way in which churches sort of operate. And it was sort of a two-on-one conversation. Well, the, the two pastors in their conversation with this one pastor were really challenging. They reacted, they were boastful, they interrupted, compared themselves, made light of the other pastor's position. This one pastor was thoughtful. The others were rude. This one pastor asked questions while the others moved between manipulative flattery and belligerent bantering. And at the end of the video, I found myself saying, "Uh uh-oh. And it wasn't long until those two pastors were actually fired by their churches because of bad behavior in other areas. Now looking back, Quite frankly, their words were telling. So can I ask ask you, Christian, what do your words say about your spiritual maturity? I trust that as a Christian, you know that your words can uniquely communicate the grace that you've received. I mean, by the way that you speak, especially right now, it's a golden opportunity for people to see there is something so incredibly different about you. You can demonstrate the way that a transformed heart now relates to a transformed mouth. But it also means that people could hear what you say and by your speech undo the very testimony of what you claim to believe as a Christian. I mean, it's that important. Maybe you're listening to this and you're not yet a Christian. And you grew up in a home where words were thrown at you, and those have left big scars. Maybe you're a new dad or a new mom, and you're determined, like, I don't want that for my kids. How are you going to change? Or or maybe you're in a new relationship, and you're like, you know, this time, I'm not going to be this way. Or you know what it's like to receive verbal abuse. And because of that experience, there's a temptation to fight fire with fire, so to speak, You know, you might consider asking someone who's a Christian about the way that Jesus changed his or her life. They'd be glad to tell you about that. And at the end of the day, the hope of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that he comes to transform us by giving us new desires because it's pretty hard to change what you say when your heart hasn't been changed. James then uses two illustrations. In the first case, he talks about a horse's bit and then a 
rudder of a ship. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Notice the connection, bit, guidance, the whole thing. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So see the connection. Small things not only provide control, but those things actually create a direction. Do you know that your words are actually predictive about your future? In this way, your words can actually not only control your life in the immediate moment, but they actually create a future, positively or negatively. Let me give you a few examples. First, negatively. People who are proud and talk boastfully are not easily warned about danger. You may have had a friend and you're like, somebody's gotta tell them, and you're like, Who's going to tell them? Because you know what's going to happen. Here's another one. People who gossip and slander tend to attract other people who gossip and slander, and they reaffirm the positive nature of that behavior amongst their friends when it's actually negative. People who are bitter can be exhausting to encourage, and as a result, people give up. People who are unkind in what they say end up being really lonely because no one wants to befriend them. People who are angry cause others to walk on eggshells around them and hold distance in terms of the relationship. People who complain and justify themselves discourage others and can actually poison an environment. People who don't speak honestly allow people they love to make really bad decisions. So, so you see how our words actually have an effect. They, they, they go a particular direction. Here's the positive side. People who speak carefully are trusted by others. People who are humble in what they say are easy to correct and warn. People who refuse to listen to gossip have less gossip come their way. <laughs> People who speak without anger are able to resolve conflicts. People who give thanks tend to attract people and opportunities. And people who are loving in their Candid confrontations actually build trust. So the point is, is that words are actually a sign. Good words are a good sign, bad words are a bad sign. Caution number three, and that is this. This relates to the whole point of this text, and that is that small, a small issue can create big problems. James summarizes what he's saying here in verse five, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. So James simply says that the tongue, it's a small member in proportion to the rest of the body. It has unusual power. The tongue can do disproportionate damage. And that's why he uses such vivid examples like the bit in the horse's mouth, the rudder with the ship. He also talks about forest fires. Then next week we'll talk about the fire of hell. We'll talk about taming beasts and a spring and fig trees. James will even go so far as to call the tongue a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Why does he use so many illustrations and why such poignant words? Because James knows that we already know that the tongue is a problem. Our problem isn't that we know we should be careful with what we say. The problem is, is this little thing becomes a huge issue when we forget 
that we need to be careful. You know, every one of us, I'm sure, has wounded people with their words. And if you think about it, most of the time when that happens, it's because something got in our head, and rather than running into a filter that says, nope, don't say that, we blew through it because of some sort of excuse. We didn't see the connection between a small word, a small sentence, a small text, a small tweet, whatever it is, a small posting, whatever it is that you're going to say, and this big problem. We, we sort of lost our minds in the moment. Last week, I put out on social media a question. What is your most common excuse when you say something that you know you shouldn't say? So here's a few of the responses. I had like 130 responses between Facebook and Twitter. Here's a few and just see how these land on you. Now, to be fair, you have to be careful because some of these have context to them and these wouldn't be always wrong in every situation, but if we're honest, that's why excuses are excuses. We take something that normally might be understandable and then we excuse something that we know that's just inexcusable. So here's a few. Listen, okay, are you listening for yourself? Not for anybody else, right? Listening for myself, listening for myself. All right, so here's a couple of my favorite. I'm just being honest. Just keeping it real. Just saying. It's kind of like generational right there, right? We've kind of moved down the, from boomers to whatever just saying relates to. Here's another one. I'm not trying to be rude, but here's, here's my Achilles heel. I'm just tired. I'm frustrated. Or we'll spiritualize it. I'm just burdened. <laughs> right? A little self-disclosure there. Here's another one. Please don't take this the wrong way, but mm. here's another one. I'm an Enneagram Not against that, but unless you use it as an excuse. Um, here's another one. I've got issues. <laughs> yeah, brother, you do. I do. Or I've got pain or I've got trauma. And I get it. It's hard. But sometimes we can use, as a, use those things as excuses. Someone might say, I've got trust issues, so here it goes. Or I was only kidding. That's like the famous beep, 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 beep. You said something that was a little rude, but you thought, see how this goes? They got upset, and you're like, I'm just kidding. Last one. I'm just telling you what I heard. So James seems to think that this issue of our tongue is something that isn't just a problem because we don't know about it. It's a problem because we don't see it in the moment, which is why he uses, his, he uses such vivid illustrations, bits in horses, rudders with ships, small fire, big forest flame. So for those of you who are Christians, can I just remind you, Jesus rescued us from all this. He, he rescued you from a heart of bitterness he rescued you from anger, from wrath, from malice. So when those emotions begin to surface, can you remind your heart, preach the gospel to that 
emotion and remind your soul, Jesus saved me from this. I've been liberated. I don't have to act this way. I don't have to think this way. I actually have the power by the Holy Spirit to respond in a way that's miraculously different because of what Jesus has done. Friend, are you careful with your words? Are your words saturated with grace? How much pressure, how much pain, how much difficulty does it take for you, Christian, that suddenly, boom, you're acting just like a person who has no relationship with Christ? Is there something strangely gracious about your words that would cause people to say, what's different about you? Now, to those of you who are not yet Christians, you haven't turned to Christ, this, this message is entirely about the fruit of what the gospel can do. Fruits and roots are connected. And if you're here today listening, how in the world are you gonna have a different trajectory than either how you were raised or all the things rolling on inside, rolling inside of your soul when, when you say something that comes out of your mouth and you think, man, that's not right, it's not right, so what are you gonna do? The fact of the matter is, is the hope of the gospel is this, that Jesus and a relationship with him can change you from the inside out, not only that your sins are forgiven, but being in a right relationship with your God because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he makes you into a new man. He takes the same tongue and he causes that tongue to say things that are different because your heart has been radically transformed. So the question for all of us is to ask ourselves, how do we think about the tongue? And James would want us to think not just about what we know, but also of the way in which that actually works in our lives. Because how we talk is a place where we all need help and Jesus is ready to give it. Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would reveal to us in what ways our speech, our communication needs to be reformed and changed. God, some of us hearing this message feel right now a, a weight of just guilt because we know things that we've said in the last week that have been hurtful and help us to both seek your forgiveness and to make it right with others. Lord, help us to know that you resist the proud but give grace to the humble. And God, we also pray that Today, by your spirit, you would change us from the inside out continually because of your work, some for the first time, others continually, because God, without your help, our, our words will always be hurtful, will always be self-centered. So grant us grace to see this and to practice it in light of who you are, Jesus. We pray this in your name, amen.